0: To Ephesians again, <clears throat> and this morning um, we have got to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 to the end of the chapter. So I will read that just now for us. So it's Ephesians chapter 4 and reading from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were all sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgive you. Well, taking off clothes and putting on clothes, it's this simple task. It doesn't require a lot of effort or focus, it's nothing dramatic. It's something we do every day, perhaps several times a day. We get up in the morning, we take off pyjamas, we put on work clothes. Perhaps we come home in the evening, we take off work clothes, we put on comfy house clothes. And then again at bedtime, we may take off comfy house clothes and put on pyjamas. Now, I didn't think this required so much focus or effort until I was trying to get a five-year-old ready for school. Now, normal routine in the morning, although of course it's currently disturbed, is to go into Patrick's room. No, actually, he comes into our room, he wakes us up first, comes to my side of the bed... And when I finally get up, I'll bring Patrick into his room, make sure his uniform's all sitting out, and I'll say, now you get your uniform on, and I'll go get charred and dress. So I will leave his bedroom, I'll go get charred and dress, it may take 15, 20 minutes, and then I'll go back into Patrick's room, and he, on a good day, has maybe one arm out of one sleeve of his pyjamas. He's basically no further on. This task is not as easy as I thought. Well, this morning in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he urges us to be putting off and putting on. Now, if we think of last week, Paul urged the believers to be eager to maintain unity And also to strive to attain unity. And this week we see that that the believers maintain unity and attain unity by putting off and putting on. And we know from the prayer in chapter 3 that actually this isn't an easy task for any human. That is why Paul prays that the very power of God's Spirit would strengthen us from within. And if we think of the structure of Ephesians, we have this prayer for power. Then we have application to church life, to home life and to work life. And then we have the passage on the armour of God. You see, if we're going to put off and put on in the way that we're going to think about this morning, then we need to brace ourselves We need to rely on the very power of God, and we need to stand ready for battle. We see a pattern in this passage that we have already seen in chapter 2. And there, in chapter 2, Paul was getting the believers to think what they once were. Then we have those very significant words, but God or but Christ and then what you now are. And we saw that pattern twice in chapter 2. In in the first 10 verses in chapter 2, what you once were, you were dead in sin, but God, then you're alive in Christ. Also in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, you were alienated without hope and without God in the world, but Christ, and then you have been brought near to God, living with hope in the world. And we see a very similar pattern here. Uh, and it's like Paul is is recapping those grand truths uh, and, and of what believers once were without Christ, and then what they now are in Christ. So in verses 17 to 19, we see what they once were. In verse 20 we have, what Christ, we see what they are, what we now are, and then verses 25 to the end spells out for us what that looks like in our life together. So, firstly, verses 17 to 19 you once were. So Paul says, in verse 17, now this I say and testify in testifying the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now Paul is writing to to Gentile believers, mainly Gentile believers who are living among Gentiles. And he says to them, your life has got to look very different to to these Gentiles around you. He says their minds are futile. He's referring there to their inner being. Uh, And ultimately their futility is their rejection of God. They have no relationship with God. And so everything they do is is futile. They have no real meaning or purpose in life. Now they may try to, to, to give life meaning and purpose through various things, but without God... Any effort will be futile. Verse 18 They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're not able to grasp the truth of God or His gospel. And this echoes Ephesians 2, where, where we saw that, that they were dead in sin, trapped under the influence of the world, the devil and the flesh, unable to do anything about it, without God and without hope in the world. Verse 19, they have become callous. This can refer to, to skin no longer being able to feel pain. This can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I, I remember watching a lady being interviewed on TV recently. And, and she had this where, where she was not able to feel pain. And she's had it for many, many years and only discovered it when she was 65. Now, there were many positives to that through her life. She, she talked about um, giving birth to children without any pain. But there were many negatives. She often did not know if she was hurt and, uh, and needed rest, and later in life there were more serious health issues, which could have had earlier intervention if she had felt pain. Well, here in Ephesians, so here in Ephesians, it refers to no longer feeling embarrassment or shame, which again can be a positive thing, but here it's actually a very negative thing. Because the person has lost the ability to have self-control. They have lost all conscience. And so, verse 19, they have given themselves up to sensuality. They just flaunt their reckless living. They don't have any respect for themselves and they don't have any respect for anyone else. And they practice every kind of impurity. This involves sexual impurity, but but it's not confined to this. And they're greedy for this; they can never have enough, and they'll never be told by anyone that they have had enough. And you see, this way of living is a direct result of the inner person. It reads very similar to Romans one. In Romans chapter one Paul Paul talks that about men being having suppressed the truth because of their unrighteousness. Instead of honoring God, they became futile in their thinking, their hearts were darkened, they looked to created things rather than the Creator to satisfy them. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. And that is what we have just seen here described in Ephesians 4. Due to their hardness of heart, they are darkened in their understanding, they are futile in mind, alienated from God, and so they have become callous and have given themselves to impurity. These are the people that these believers are living among. And this is what they once were. But, verse 20 to 24, this is who you now are. Paul says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. These verses remind us of of who we now are in Christ. Who we now are as a result of God's powerful, transforming work of grace in our lives. See, when Paul preached Christ, he was not preaching about Christ, but preaching Christ himself. Yes, Jesus is the subject of teaching, but, but it is Christ himself that the believers have received. They have learned Christ. It's not just knowledge, but relationship and we've seen this quite clearly as we have gone through Ephesians remember back to chapter 1 all those spiritual blessings they are ours in Christ Christ is not just the means or the agent of, of getting blessing but he himself is the blessings it is through Our union with Christ, our marriage to him, that God's people are able to be seated in the heavenly places knowing God's blessings. And again we saw in chapter 2 that Christ is not just the means or the agent to peace, but he himself is our peace. We are united in him, we are his body and so we have peace with God. So this is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him. Now a better translation here leaves out the word about as the, the King James Version does. So it would, it would read, assuming that you have heard Christ. What Paul's saying is that when you heard the message of Christ proclaimed and taught to you, it was Christ himself speaking to you. And you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So to learn to know truth is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know truth. It is hearing this truth that brings us into relationship with him. And you were taught, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and verse 24 to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness there is a taking off and there is a putting on now what is important to notice here is that this putting off and putting on has been done Okay, Paul is reminding them of how they learned Christ, of their conversion, when God's grace transformed them. They were dead in sin, God gave them life, and so they have become a new man. The old man has gone, they are a new person, they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We can't do this putting off and putting on. This has been done for us. By the powerful working of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you will notice that in between this putting off and putting on, Paul says, verse 23, you were taught to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, renewed here is a present verb, and that means that renewing is a continual process. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self has been done. But God is renewing us continually from within. Remember how Paul prayed in chapter 1 that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that, that the eyes of our heart we'd be enlightened, that is that we would catch hold of what God has done in our lives and so we would have a completely different perspective on life. Because of because of our new self, because we are a new man, we, we have a new mind, we have a new way of thinking, we have a new perspective and God is renewing that mind to help us understand who we are and what that means for our life. And the result of putting off and putting on and minds being renewed is righteousness and holiness displayed in our life. And this stands in contrast to the old man with a futile mind resulting in impurity. That's not the way you learn Christ. You've put off, you've put on. And so you display righteousness and holiness in your life. And isn't this really what Paul was praying for in chapter 3? That the power of God's spirit would strengthen us, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Yes, Christ is already dwelling. Paul prays that this would become more evident. So we have put off an old self We have put on a new self. We are being renewed from within to become more like Christ. To submit to him. To make his glory, power and grace known. Paul says in Colossians. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. And this brings us to verse 25. So there's a putting off and there's a putting on that has been done. Okay. We are a new people in Christ. We're declared holy and blameless. But there is a putting off and a putting on that is, that is still to be done as we become more like Christ, as we become holy and blameless. We're a new creation, we have a new mind, and so we have a new way of living. If you know someone at at some point or other that that has lost a lot of weight, they will buy a lot of new clothes, because of course it wouldn't make any sense to put on clothes that fitted with an old body. And so it is with us spiritually, because we have a new body, we take off clothes. And once we take off clothes, what do we do? We put on clothes. And this is Paul's concern here with what we put on. So let's see what this looks like. The first thing Paul draws our attention to is our speech. Our conversation. Look at verse twenty-five. Therefore, because of who you are, because you're a new man, having put away falsehood, a fruit of the old man, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. And then, if you look down to verse twenty-nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It's interesting in this one chapter that Paul mentions our speech three times. It's clearly significant. He first mentioned it in verse 15, and here he he continues and saying we are encouraged to speak truth to each other. And we are primarily thinking here about the local church. Paul says for we are members of one another. We are one body. We are one family. We, We owe it to each other to be honest with each other. Every family unit requires honesty to thrive, to progress, to develop relationship. Honesty helps relationships to grow. Falsehood stunts relationships. I wonder, has, has anyone in your family ever said to you, what's wrong with you today, you're, you're just not yourself? And you've responded and you say, oh, nothing, fine." And clearly you're not fine, and, and, and as a result, there's, there's almost a, an atmosphere in the air. And often that, that atmosphere is only cleared, and those relationships can only move forward when honesty is expressed. So it might simply mean saying, oh, you know, I've just had a terrible day at work, or I'm really worried about this, or I have this on my mind. And so it is within the local church. Perhaps someone says to you, How are you? You say, Oh, fine. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, by being honest, you're providing the other person, that brother or sister, with an opportunity to minister to you. And you're actually providing yourself comfort, relief wisdom from a brother or sister we speak the truth i mean there are so many applications we could make from this i just make another couple when we are speaking about a brother or sister we must only say what is true not what we think Might be true, but what is true? And at times speaking the truth um, will involve speaking to a brother or sister about perhaps a sin they are involved in. Now, if we go to verse 29, it's helpful for us to think about these examples. Because in verse 29, we get three principles. So let's think about these three principles. The first one is this, only speak what is good for building up. And isn't that the purpose of the body that we thought about last week? Now there's no condition put on this. Okay, It's not if someone speaks kindly to you, well then you return and speak kindly to them. No, we only speak what is good for building up. So if you're in a situation where you're you're required to speak about a sin issue with someone your intention is not so much point proving but rather to build the person up that they might become more like Christ. When speaking about a brother or sister only say what is good for building up. So we've got to think Is this building up the brother or sister I am speaking about? Is this building up the brother or sister I am speaking to? I'd be pretty sure if this is your intention, that your manner, your tone will be very different, particularly if you're in a situation where you need to address a sin issue. As we speak, we think of the other person before ourselves. We're more concerned with what they have to say than what we have to say. Remember from last week, we walk with humility, gentleness, patience. We bear with one another. So the first principle in our speech, only speak what builds up. The second principle... Speak as is fitting for the occasion. So we've got to think, what does this person most need at this time? Is it encouragement? Is it comfort? Is it challenge? Perhaps the best thing is to say nothing at all. So we only speak with build-up. We speak what is fitting for the occasion. The third principle, speak that I may give grace to those who hear. Our God-given purpose, as we have thought about as the local church, is to display God's glory and grace. And with our words, we want to help each other to fulfil this purpose. Paul prayed that Christ would dwell in our hearts. We want our words to be evidence that Christ is dwelling within us. And we want to bear in mind those who do not know Christ. So let's say you're out for coffee with, with someone from, from the church, so someone from Craig Baptist, and you're sitting beside another table here, very close to you, so they're able to hear your conversation. And they're listening in, and let's face it, we've all done that. But this this other couple are listening to your conversation. What is your conversation saying to the table next to you? Is it obvious that you are in Christ and they are not? Is your conversation very different? Now these weeks that we find ourselves in as we are apart actually our main means of ministering to each other is by our words. May we make the most of these days to be honest with each other. Anyone feeling lonely? Anyone feeling a bit frightened? Perhaps frustrated? Speak the truth to us. For we are, we are members of one another. And let us, let us build each other up. Let, let's not pull each other down with complaining, say. And let us say words that fit the occasion. To those who haven't seen anyone in a while. To those who are working in the hospitals to those who are are disappointed because of cancelled exams cancelled weddings and so forth let's speak words that give grace to those who hear that points each other to Christ and and may our words of response to, to all that is currently going on show us to be distinctly different even to bring grace to those who do not know Christ. Now, of course, these these weeks are not a break from church. I mean, that's not possible. We are united in Christ. Of course, lockdown it's the it's the introverts' dream, isn't it? But don't withdraw from each other. More than ever, if we want to maintain unity and we want to strive to attain unity. We need to speak, speak to each other. So let's use the means that we have to speak to each other. We put away falsehood. We put on honesty, truth. Secondly, then, first twenty six. Therefore, because of who you are. Because you're a new man in Christ, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then if you look at verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour, that is harsh words, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now there is, there's a recognition here that there is an anger that is right, that, that we might be grieved at the things God is grieved about, perhaps injustice, abuse in this world. But I would say more than often that the anger we feel, the anger that we express is not righteous anger, in fact it's a very ugly anger. Righteous anger normally stems from compassion and grief for another. Unrighteous anger that we express is always self-serving. We're to put off unrighteous anger and instead put on kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, verse 32. Now again, as we think about anger, we are primarily thinking in the relationships with each other in the local church. Now, let's think about that unrighteous or that ugly anger, as I will call it. How do we know that? Well, that anger says, it says, I'm right and you're wrong. It is self-righteous. It tells you that you'll feel so satisfied by expressing that anger. Having that opportunity to prove that someone else is wrong and you are right. That anger demands that you serve me. I'm angry that you're not meeting my needs and desires. I'm angry that that you're not doing things when and how I think they should be done. Anger promotes self. I'm angry that you're not listening to, respecting, acknowledging me. Anger seeks revenge and punishment and judgment on others. It slanders others. And anger justifies itself, blaming the sin of others on our own sin of anger. Now even in those cases where it is right to be angry, and I suggest they are few and far between, it is not always appropriate to express that. Paul quotes here from Sam um, 4. Psalm 4, verse 4, we read, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and in your own beds and be silent. In other words, even if there is a legitimate reason to be angry, think long and hard before expressing that. There may be many times... It is better to simply say nothing. And Paul says don't don't sit there nursing your anger. (laughs) Let it go. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Get over it quickly. And give no opportunity to the devil. There is nothing like anger to destroy unity within the local church. Which ultimately Satan wants. Don't hold on to anger. And anger ultimately is a sign of spiritual ignorance. Okay, We are to be kind-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving as God forgave you. You see, the truth is that God was well within his rights to express his perfect, righteous anger on us. He, he was perfectly within his right to judge us. But he didn't. His anger and judgment was directed on his son. That we could know the kindness of God. That we could know his forgiveness. So we don't direct our anger and judgment towards others. Why? Because that is not how God has treated us. Thirdly and finally, this time verse 28 Therefore, again, because of who you are, put off theft and put on generosity. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In the old life, perhaps we would have thought nothing of taking what wasn't ours. Perhaps we bump up our expenses to the tax man, perhaps we don't declare all that we had earned. We, We were quite content with getting. It may not have caused us a second thought how someone else was faring out, as long as we were faring out okay. But you see, now we are more concerned with giving we work hard and we give to others what we can again in these days we are presented with a great opportunity to look to what others need and to give i mean even supermarket chains are encouraging us to look out to the look out for the needs of others Now there may well be those among us who will struggle financially over the next weeks and months as a result of this current pandemic. And I would simply say to you, keep your ear to the ground for those who may be struggling. If they are, give to them. And if you yourself are struggling financially, be honest. We're members of one another. Allow us to serve you in this way. So don't be false, be honest. Don't be angry. Be kind. Don't steal. Be generous. This will build up the family of God. This will make God's glory, power, and grace known to the world around us because let's face it, no one's going to be attracted to false, angry stingy people but they may well be drawn to honest, kind generous people even to see even to come to know the glory and the grace of God so we take off and we put on simple, easy Perhaps a five year old taking off and putting on is a better parallel than we like to think. This putting off and putting on takes the very power of God's Spirit. We need to rely on Him completely. And we need to focus like one ready for battle, day and daily. May God enable us to live for His glory. Allow me to pray for us just now. Our Father in God, we thank you again for your word. And again, we ask that your spirit would strengthen us from within. We pray that we would take seriously, that we would focus on this battle that we have been called to, May your spirit enable us to put away falsehood and to put on honesty. To put away anger, to put on kindness. To put away theft and stinginess and to put on generosity. Father, with the opportunity that is presented to us in these days, may we serve each other through your words. Through your kindness, through our generous giving. May we continue to maintain, strive to attain the unity that you have called us to, and that is our final goal. May we show the world around us how good it is to be your people. How good it is to submit to Jesus Christ. Our Father, we give you thanks, and we pray through Jesus, our great Saviour. Amen. Amen. Well listen, thank you again if you have watched this morning. Um, I, I would welcome any questions from what we've thought about this morning so do, do contact me if you have any questions. Um, I, will, I will speak to you soon. Um, we, we miss you. We love you all. We are praying for you. Do keep in touch with us and um, keep in touch, keep praying for and with each other as well. The Lord bless you. Goodbye.